This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 122. You are exactly right. It does not take a lot of time to engage. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Looks like Brandon lost his best friend. Oh, there he is. What's up, Brandon? Welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Me and Charlie are just hanging out here, um, you know, doing our thing. Is Charlie your imaginary friend? <laughs> Charlie is my dog. He's a Yorkie and he's the cutest dog on planet Earth. And he likes me to hold him during podcasts. So Yeah, that's uh that's real interesting, man. Sometimes I hold him like a baby, rock him back and forth. Look at this. If people are those of yeah, you yeah, who can't see. see this, it means you're not watching us on YouTube as well. We're putting our podcast out on YouTube, not immediately, <laughs> but they come out a week or two or so later. Um, you've got to see this. It's embarrassing. It's not for cute. me. It's cute. No, look at this guy. Yeah. Anyway, how are, how are things, Brandon? Things are good. Refinance yes. on the apartment complex went through today. Congrats. So, thank you. It's a good day. So yeah, I'm excited. Made another offer on a property like 10 minutes ago. That was great too. Oh, look at you. Getting yeah. fancy, showing this, off again. Yeah. There's a quick tip for everyone. Make sure your agent can do digital offers because it sure is nice to not have to leave my room. It like, took me like a minute and a half to like click a few times. Click sign, click yep. sign, click sign. Of course, Brandon click, click, clicks without reading his contract. I read every word. I'm just a fast reader. 10,000 words a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the nice thing too, though, about being like my agent and I are like that, you know, like we're, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. So he knows exactly what I want and we do the same offers every time pretty much. So that's great. There's something awesome, about uh, that consistency works well. So well, anyway, congrats. and do read your contracts, please. Yeah, God. read them. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Cool. That is not our quick tip today. Our quick tip today, actually is it's our quick tip. All right. So our quick tip today, I talk about this a little bit in the show today, but, um, so, well, Quick tip number one, I should say pro tip number one is post ads in the marketplace when you need things like private lending or if you need a deal or you need a partner. Uh, but so I did that actually. I, I needed a uh, private lending on a deal. So I posted it and I got a bunch of people to reach out to me and we talked and you know built relationships with a bunch of people. But in that process, somebody also reached out to me who was not a very good person and they were a scammer. And uh, you know, there were some, there were some obvious signs I could tell, you know, just the way they phrased things made me, t- you know, and it was like too good of an offer to be true. So I talked to them on the phone anyway and they wanted a, you know, large upfront fee. And then I searched their IP address where they're from and found out they're not from America. And it was just, you know, uh, Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah. They were a Nigerian scam. And so, uh, anyway, my, my quick tip today is everyone just be safe out there. You know, if things sound too good to be true, if you know, there's red flags, definitely research, dig in, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking a, even a private lender for references, nothing wrong with that at all. So absolutely. Quick tip. And, and- yeah, I, I mean, you know, listen, we at the end of the day do everything that we can to keep bigger pockets safe. But at the end of the day, you know, we cannot vet all of our users. There's no way it's impossible. Facebook doesn't do it. LinkedIn doesn't do it. You know, I try it, to go to all their houses and knock on the door, but people come out with their shotguns and get angry and it. It's, there you it's go. weird. Yeah. There you go. So, so, you know, just be careful. I mean, with anyone <laughs> you meet, whether you meet them in person, if you meet them at a RIA, or if you meet them on bigger pockets or anywhere else, you, you really want to. Be yep. very diligent in vetting people. And, you know, it's just a, a smart thing to do. And, you know, I wish, I wish we were immune to it. I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, we are not the police. 
we are not a courtroom. Uh, we're not a court of law. We, we do not have the capacity to do that job for you. So you really must do it yourself and, and just be smart. That's all. Ask, ask your friends, ask other people uh, who you know for recommendations and definitely be careful. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad Brandon did his vetting. And when we found out that this uh, Nigerian scammer was on the site, they obviously got the boot. So that they did. Cool. They did. They did. Uh, anywho, moving on to today's show. Yeah. We, uh, we have a really cool show today. We've got a, another repeat guest uh, we've got Chris Clothier. You know, uh, every time we talk to Chris, whether it's on the podcast or in person or when I, you know, I saw him in person a while back or on the phone, like every time I talk to him, I walk away feeling smarter because like he's one of those guys that just knows how to communicate things so well to help yes. you become a smarter person. And I, I love that. So that's why we had to have him back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Chris spoke at our conference a bunch of years ago. I mean, I've known him for many, many years. And what I like about him is, uh, amongst other things, um, he's, his mission is to build a thriving business. Mm -hmm. His mission is not, I'm going to be the best real estate investor on the planet. Uh, He's going to build the best real estate investment business on the planet. And those of you who can't tell the distinction, you should listen to the show because you know, there's something very different about, Hey, I'm going to buy 10 rental properties where I'm going to grow a real estate investment business. Uh, it's, it's a mindset. Uh, it, there's there's a certain way that you think about a certain professionalism that you're going to put into things when you build a business versus just hey I'm going to haphazardly buy a bunch of properties. So um, this show is pretty cool, and um, uh, part of the show, you know, primarily the goal here is to talk about these five myths. Uh, it's the five myths holding investors back from real estate greatness, and. Uh, uh, there's just a whole lot of great stuff in here. Um, uh, the show is really for anyone, whether you're just getting started or you've been doing this for a long time. And uh, we definitely recommend you uh, listen up. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com bp. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. 
Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, guys, let's get this show started. We're going to bring him in. All right, Chris, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It's good to have you here. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Glad yeah, to be uh, here. It's been a while. When, when was the last one? Do you remember? It was, uh, I should know that, but it, it was, was early. It was 20, one of the early shows. Something 20 something. That was the show that had like six, six, six <laughs> listeners, I think. Yeah. So yeah. put it put show the 26. in order of the. The fewest listeners, and you'll you just yeah. go to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah, BP podcast. Uh, so go to biggerpockets.com/show26 if you want to hear Chris's entire getting started story. That is where you're going to hear it. You're not going to hear that today. Today we're going to talk about some other fun stuff. Cool. Exactly. That was fun. Awesome. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was yeah. fun. That was actually a really good show. I mean, like joking aside, that was an awesome show. It was all about like building your business, not a you know, I'm buying a house here. I'm going to buy a property there. It was about building a scalable business. Um, it was right. awesome. So I learned a lot. And, that, and, and, yeah. and that's what I think, you know, Brandon and I talk a lot about you, uh, Chris, and, and I think, well, not a lot, not like, you know, oh, all the time. Long, <laughs> but, but like, you know what Chris would say in this about case. You, when we talk about you, we, we talk about, you know, like, hey, this is a guy who thinks like a business person. You know, it's not, he's not thinking on a house by house basis. He's thinking on an enterprise level. And, and I think that's, why you've become so successful. That's why your company is doing so well. And, and, you know, that's why we, we got you back is, you know, you're, you're here, you're, you're crushing it. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you got a lot to teach people. And it'll be fun knowing what we're going to talk about today. Cause some of the, some of the things that have made me kind of who I am come from, you know, part of our topic, part of family. I mean, you know, my, I owe a lot to my dad, my older brother and having worked with them since I was young. I mean, a lot of my success is due to them. So Cool. The way I think and that kind of stuff. So let's talk awesome. about that. What today we are going to talk about? I'll kind of introduce the topic of today uh, a little bit different again because we've had Chris on the show before. We decided to go kind of with a more topical approach, and, and the topic today is five real estate myths that are holding investors back from greatness. So we're going to talk about five myths, and this is kind of a little bit based off of a blog post or two that you've written in the past. Uh, I kind of looked at those, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I thought, why don't we just you know revamp that and talk about it today and, and find a way to help uh, the listeners? So yeah, it should Great be fun. Idea. Cool. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we you just start to at, take the lead on this thing, Brandon? Yeah. Why don't we start at number one? Myth number one. What is the number one myth? Um, you know, actually, before we get to that, for those people who did not listen to the last show, yeah, let's do like yeah, a brief catch us, up, yeah, really who, quick. Who are you? Minute. What do you do? What's your story? So, yeah, Chris Clothier. I own a, uh, along with my family, have a business called Memphis Invest, which today is one of the top 50 home buyers in America. And we've got offices in Memphis, Dallas, and Houston. For lack of a better way to put it, we, we're a turnkey company, a turnkey model. We are, um, all of us are active investors ourselves, just real into the, you know, kind of into building businesses, which is what was so interesting about this particular, you know, kind of endeavor that we went into because we built a lot of different businesses as a family, but this is the one that we've, we've stuck with the longest because it's, um, it's just, it's kind of like every, every year there's just something, some new challenge coming out, some new way to grow, some new thing to try and, and maneuver around, you know, it's not just, it's not just a company anymore. Now it's, it really has become a growing type of enterprise. So we manage almost 3000 properties. We'll hit 3000. In fact, next month, Ooh, um, 
Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got, uh, like I said, we're in three cities. We've got 1,100 clients that we work with. And, you know, I guess since we talked last, that's been the, the biggest thing, the biggest change for us is that we went to Dallas and Houston and have just been having a blast doing it, just having a blast seeing what comes next and how do we, how do we get around it and keep growing. And you started this, I mean, you didn't start with like a, you know, a billion dollars in the bank. I mean, you started this thing from the first house. I remember, uh, I seem to recall in, in Denver, you had picked up some property and there was drama. I, I don't remember the yeah. whole story, but, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, just like everybody else, you know, you started one house at a time. That, no, you're exactly right. I, I had, um, the, way I, the way I originally got started in real estate was I had a home for sale and it was in Memphis. I lived in Denver and I was living in a hotel because I had to sell my house in Memphis first and I'd been there for 11 months and a guy came to me and he wanted my house, but he had a house he had to sell first that was near a university. And so my very first transaction ever was I went to him and said, I'll buy your house near the university because it cost a lot less and I could buy my home in Denver if I did it. So I bought his house near the university. He bought my house. I rented his property out. I bought my first home in Denver to live in. So that's and cool. from then, yeah, that's, that's how I got started completely by accident. Um, yeah. didn't, didn't mean to be a real estate investor. Were yeah. you, were you involved in real estate before? Cause I know your father's kind of like the, what the patriarch of the family, like, you know, the business, sure. right? Was he into this at the time or did you drag him into the business of real estate? That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know the story. You know, it's, and it is, most people find it hard to believe, but all of us got into it independently, completely. None of us knew that the others were doing it because I owned, I owned a grocery uh, brokering company. That's the business my father had taught me. I owned it in Denver. My father had a small grocery company in Memphis and my brother had moved down to Florida, my older brother, and he had a grocery company in Florida. And independently, all three of us were starting to get into real estate on our own. And so really my dad was the one who did it much bigger and much better than we did. He was, uh, before we knew it, he was you know, talking to Ria's. He was telling his story. He was buying real estate very creatively, lots of different ways. Um, and then he's the one who was first approached by a FedEx pilot who said, I don't have time to find and renovate and rent a property. Will you do it for me? And that guy was our very first turnkey client. And so, um, that's how he got started. And he, my brother, myself, we were all talking, we all, you know, always keep in contact to kind of see what's going on with the other. And it just developed, you know, Memphis was a great market for long-term buy and hold Denver and South Florida at the time were not considered that. Um, they were considered much more fast, you know, flip type markets. And so we began to send investors to him in Memphis to do the turnkey model. That's how this whole thing started back in 2002, really. It was when, when we first started doing that. Right on. Right cool. on. Awesome, man. So you've grown, you've got this big thing going on and that's uh, great. And, and as we talked about show 26, biggerpockets.com slash show 26. They get the whole story. All right, hey, let's get to- Real quick, sorry. Um, you mentioned you're one of the top like 50 home buyers in America or whatever. What does that mean in terms of like, like do you mind sharing like how many deals are you buying a year now? Well, Realty Track- I spoke at a conference um, about two months ago, and Realty Track was one of the gentlemen who came up to me, and I spoke with them there, and and he just mentioned to us that you know that we were on their list as one of the top fifty home buyers in America by volume, and that's by I think that was by uh, number of units because we had we had closed something a little over six hundred houses uh, the year before. Whoa. Whoa! And so and you uh, did that all by yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's strictly me. I'm a little tired right now, but yeah, you look good. You look good for somebody who does six hundred. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. two a day. I mean, you know, a lot of closings. You handle it. It's good. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because we never we didn't know that we never it, we, 
there's no reason for us to even care. That's not even something that we really talk about. But in one of those things, it's just, it, it was, it was interesting because he was looking at us and, and he was like, I just want you to know, he's like, all, all the research and a lot of the data that we do, your name pops up everywhere. You know, you're, yeah. you guys are you're kind of a big deal. Well, oh, that's- but, and, and, now, and now he talks about it. Did, did you notice? Yeah. yeah. By, the way, by the way, just, you know, the first thing I'm going to tell you guys, we're one of the top 50 homebuyers. And I mean, you know, it's not, not important, uh, but I'm just mentioning oh it here because, you know, it's, it's just a little thing. I'm never going to live that down. That's, what, that's Not on this show, you're not. That's my passive aggressiveness. You know what I mean? That's my, yeah, we don't ever talk about it, except for when I talk about it in passing. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. So 600 houses you did last year. I mean, is that typical or is that just a crazy big year? Well, it's what we grew into. So we, we're probably going to be closer to 750 this year. Yeah. Man. Man. So it's just, it's just I mean, part of the growth. That's awesome. While I'm patting myself. <laughs> I hey, gave him asked, the opportunity. I wanted to know because yeah. you know. well, I know like your business is so different than mine. You know, I'm still in that buy one house here, one house there. I'm doing two next week. Supposedly I talked about that last week. And it's the only time I've ever done two in a single week. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm growing, right? I guess. So it'll well, be fun. And, and it's funny, as you and I were talking before, it's very different for me now. Um, I, I'm still an active investor, but I just invest in such a different way than I even used to. I was sharing with Brandon that I just, you know, sometimes I miss getting my hands dirty. Sometimes I miss, you know, going in there and, and crawling underneath the house and looking at it. I mean, but I have all that taken care of now, all that's done, you know, the, the company's grown, but you know, but we're still an investor. Well, I'm still a real estate investor. I just do it differently than what I used to. Yep. Yeah. Right on. So. Right on. All right. Let's get, let, okay, let's try again. Let's get to this show because we got some good <laughs> stuff we're going to talk about besides you, Chris. Yeah. I'm going to talk about you talking about other things. And no, I mean, listen, we've got you on here because you're doing a great job. And, and you know, I think uh, there's no reason that we, we don't cover this stuff. So thanks for sharing all that. All right. So, so today we're doing, the, again, the, the truth behind the five real estate investment myths. Myth number one, don't work with family. I, now, I will tell you, I like this myth. I, since I'm since I'm bringing it up, I like this myth. I, you know, I I've personally worked with family. It wasn't great. I know other people who've worked with family. It wasn't great. But that's it's not a rule, right? I mean, right. you guys clearly all work really well together. So let's talk about it. Well, and we haven't always worked really well together. Another part of the story that nobody knows, I I actually left my father. You know, with, you know, he and I, I learned a business from him. When I moved to Denver, I was moving away from his company. I left his company and went to start my own. And that was a, that was a big deal at the time. That was one of those things that got, you know, it, it was just ugly for us for a little while. Um, yeah. And my brother has done the same thing. I think that working with family, it just means that more than ever, more than in any other type of partnership, there have to be clear lines, clear boundaries, and clear just clear respect. And, you know, now I'm, I showed you guys my glasses earlier. I'm, I am older. I'm, I'm, I turned 43 this year and. Wow. You're took, old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said older, older. <laughs> I'm, I, when I was in my twenties, I, I didn't work well with family. I mean, I thought I knew it all. Uh, when I was in my thirties, I was learning it and still didn't work very well. And now that I'm 43 and I do know it all, <laughs> it's just easier to work together now that I'm older and I've got more respect for where my dad is and where he's come from. How does that feel? I mean, because I, I stop and I look at, at, at our company, I look at our team and I'm the old guy and you know, I'll be 40 next yep. year. And I'll be like, how the hell did I become the old man on the team? <laughs> I mean, when did that happen? Yeah. You know? I mean, is, is it, you know, 
beyond the kind of immediate working with the family, I mean, just being 43 changes perceptions. It changes how people look at you, talk to you, communicate with you, work with you, deal with you, right? Sure. Absolutely. Well, and it changes the way that, that we think, the way that we operate, I guess, that yeah. I, um, I, I mean, I like to think that I'm a little more thoughtful. I, I speak a little less and I think a little more than I used to, you know, but it's, it's, you know, I think I've in some level, some way that, that you earn respect. And, and as you, as you get a little bit older and you become the old guy on the team, there's, it's pretty interesting when, when there's a bunch of younger people that are, that are truly looking up to you, like from a, re- a level of respect, it's not just, you're the old guy. It's like, wait a second, you actually know something. Why don't you help me out and teach me something? And yeah, but that's only happened over the last few years. And, and I guess you'll get there, Josh, it'll happen. I mean, I've known you for a while and I still don't respect you, but it's, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's getting there. <laughs> All right. So let's you know, get, let's get back to working with family. So, you know, there was this, this drama up front and then, you know, as you've kind of gotten older, it's, it's changed. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, it just depends on what your fam- family dynamic is. You know, for us, it, we, um, at, at work, it's all work. It's all business. Um, and sometimes there's harsh words to be said. There's, harsh realities, uh, when mistakes are made, that kind of thing. But then literally we walk out of there and we go home. None of our wives understand it. They don't, they don't get it because we'll go home to a dinner or something, or we'll see each other. We'll go to dinner or go to a basketball game or something. It's like all the yelling from the day is over. And every once in a while I'll, you know, I'll bring it home. My younger brother may bring it home. I'm sure my dad does too, where we've done something that really, really irritated the other bad. But, you know, for the most part, as I said, it just takes that for us, we have clear levels of, of who does what. And mm-hmm. as long as everybody does what they're supposed to do and, and everyone else respects it, it's okay. doesn't mean there won't be, you know, th- that's what happens with family. We, there have been, there've been times, it's really funny. We had a girl that she was in our first week with us and she sits out in front, in the front office and we had a real knockdown drag out. I mean, throwing stuff across the rooms at each other. It was, <laughs> it was uh, I, I want a video know, of that. <laughs> calculators come whizzing by and, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, I don't know why, but you know, we were, we were at it and we were going at it. And it's usually, it's me and my father because he and I are so much alike. My little brother, he's, he says all the time, he says, I just sit back and eat popcorn. He's like, I just let you <laughs> kill I'm just going to eat popcorn. And, um, you know, but, but when we were all said and done, this little girl sat there. I mean, she's probably 22 when we hired her and she was dead silent. She wasn't even looking at her. She's just kind of looking around like what just happened. And, and a lady that worked with us from the day one, she went and grabbed her and said, let's go get a cup of coffee and kind of walks around the hall and says, so every once in a while, <laughs> nice, <laughs> that happens. Nice. Okay, so that's your story. That's how you guys have kind of, you know, that's your interaction. And that's great, right? So except right. for the calculators knocking you sure. out. But I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm a listener. I'm listening to your story. You say there should be clear rules and expectations. What else do I need? So if I'm going to work with my brother, my cousin, my nephew, my uncle, my bro- you know, dad, whomever it is, what do I need to do to make sure it's going to work? Well, it's, it, it has to be respect, number one, and you have to have a reason to bring somebody in. I now have uh, nephews, and I have an uncle, and I have a cousin. So I've got nephews, cousins, and uncles now that work in the company with us. But we had a set role for each of them to come into. And so when they came in, yes, their name is Clothier, but we were very upfront with them about who the owners were and who, you know, the what each role each of them had to play. And none of them are owners of the company at all, but they all had a very, very set role to play within the company. They had a piece of the, of the business they were supposed to handle and what they're supposed to do. And then the real key to this making it work is that we hold them accountable the way we would any other employee, any other team member. I mean, it's exactly the same. 
they do something wrong, they just get hammered like anybody else. And if they do something great, they get praised, you know, lifted up. And that's do you actually use up. a hammer against them? Every <laughs> once in a while. Okay. Okay. So you you know, just it's making just, sure. It's just the it's it's just be real, be upfront, be very, you know, don't, you don't have a job for everyone. And if you do that and you bring in all your family members, cause you just want to give somebody something to do, it's never going to work. It has yeah. to be, you know, you need something, you'd be very clear with them on what it is they need to do and then hold them accountable to do it. Well, they also better be qualified, right? Yeah, well, sure, sure. I mean, that's, um, yeah, I guess that goes without saying, it's I mean, not, you know. But, but sometimes you, people do that, right? I, think, I mean, I think yeah. people tend to, they tend to work with family. This is true for both you know, private lending and in terms of working in a team, like they hire somebody based on convenience, not based on skills, right? It's like, well, you know, my brother's there, he's available. I like him. I'll work with him. Right. But it's not that he's competent to be able to do that skill. I mean, my brother's confident. I'm if you're listening, Chris, just kidding. But, <laughs> well, that's no. what Chris's dad did with Chris. And you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, cheers, he's competent, you know. you know, 20 years later, but sure. <laughs> it's, it is a, it's a good word that I just mentioned. It's not charity. And here's my, you want to say hello? You can say hello. Okay, very Hi there. good. Hello. She's she does not have black eyes. Those are butterflies around She's her eyes. She's got a face paint. Nice. Yeah, look at that. That's got great. Face paint. Speaking so, of working with family, and you know, you're a family man. That's great. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny that here I am. I'm on vacation, but this is the other part about working with family. I'm on vacation, but I'm working. Yep. Um, and when when we go on vacations together as a group. When we go on vacations as individuals, that's what we still do. We all, I mean, I was in on our staff meeting this morning and, um, you know, it just never ends. When you're with family, there's a lot of expectation, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think a lot of part of that is, is also being the owner of a business. I mean, when you're sure. the owner of a business, there's, you know, there's really no escape. Even if you've yeah. got a team that's competent, I mean, you're never really fully away, are you? Are you, Josh? As I I see Brandon going, nope, nope, (laughs) (laughs) no, 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 yeah, yeah, that's that's not just family, but that's business in general, yeah. So, cool. Um, Cool. Last question I have on the on the family thing is, how do you protect yourself? Um, You know, earlier you said have roles and stuff, but how do you? If I'm going to go in partnership with a, a family member, how do I make sure that that doesn't end? really, really badly. I mean, is there a form I got to sign with them? Is there, do you have any tips on that? Well, um, it's a tip on partnerships in general. Now, look, uh, I believe that every partnership is going to end. That's, that's a mentor of mine told me that early on said all partnerships end. You decide on the front end if it's going to end good or bad. Yeah. And my father and my brother and myself, as our business has grown, we've taken time to change the rules on how this will end, if that makes sense. So we know that should we decide to break up and go do something on our own or God forbid there's, there's a death in the family, anything along those lines, how, whatever ends up being an end, we've already decided how that's going to take place. Now with, you know, when you're hiring a family member, that's not going to be a partner with you. I think that again, on the same things, I think you just have to treat them as if they are another employee. If that, you know, and that just sounds harsh, but that's the reality that the same expectations are there and the same, ability to rise and same ability to be let go exists, you know? Sure. Yep. But I, I just think it's all on the front end. We've, we've had very open discussions with all of our family members that we've hired on, like I said, what their expectations are. And then as partners, we've been real clear with one another that if anybody wants out, this is how it's going to break up. This is how we're going to do this. So it's not ugly. Yeah, no, that's great. Cool. Well, we did a show. It was our fifth show, actually. Uh, it was uh, biggerpockets.com slash show five. 
was uh, dealing with death. Financial discussion, uh, we had a CFP, uh, Neil Frankel, and the show was all about that. It was all about kind of planning for the end, being prepared, making sure that you know how your business is going to end, making sure you have all your ducks in a row. It's, you know, it's a scary concept. It's a scary thing, but I, I, I can't tell the listeners how important it is to have all this stuff prepared. I mean, especially before you go into business and knowing you know, and, and, and preparing for the possibility that things are going to end because you have to look at the negative and you have to say, Hey, if this happens, then we do this. If that happens, we do that and, and kind of go through these different cycles. It's the only responsible way to go through planning. You have to do it. And, and that show is really, really important. Uh, so I, I, I thought I'd just mention it again. Well, and you know, whether it's, whether you have one house or five houses or a business that buys and sells houses, it's important to do that because yep. you have, you have something of real value to pass on. Yep. So yeah, exactly. Right awesome. On. Oh, let's go to right. myth two, Brandon. Why don't you take it? Sure. Um, so myth two, I've got written down here and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I got past performance is a reliable predictor for future investments. What do you mean by that? And why yeah. is that a myth? Well, because so often when we're buying real estate, we look to the past to tell us what's going to happen in the future. We look at, at um, comp sales. We look at past sales of that particular property. We look at um, you know all these things that have already occurred either to the property or around the property that tell us what's going to happen with that property going forward. And the thing I found about that, especially now that I've, I've started buying into other levels of real estate, so I've started buying vacation properties, looking at uh, commercial properties. I haven't done anything in the multifamily sector, but we've looked around a little bit. But what we're finding is that it's it's almost impossible to look past, to look to the past, to be able to tell us what's going to happen going forward. I mean, it's it's much more important to look, the, the point of that is much more important to look at what's going on forward. So what's happening with uh, housing permits, what's happening with zoning regulations, what's happening with um, things of that nature, which are going to tell us what's, what's going to be taking place around us as we're going forward instead of what happened in the past as an indicator. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and, you know, I mean, I think about stocks in the same way, right? You've got all these people who are like, oh, this stock's been going up, going up, going up. It doesn't mean it's going to keep going up. Housing markets going up, going up, going up. Year 2007 doesn't mean it's going to keep going up. You can't, we can't no. predict what's going to happen no matter what. I mean, we just have to prepare for, you know, the inevitability that things can change, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's so, um, the, the, a big part of that myth and the advice I think that needs to go around it is that there's so much data without getting confused and without getting overloaded, but there's just pieces of data you can look at that are going to help you that are probably going to be, that are going to be more significant to you than, um, what was happening two, three, and four years ago with the property. And what, you know, with the recent past last couple of months, what's been selling around it. Yeah, that's, that's important. But, um, you know, too often we talk about, as you just said, Josh, like these past housing cycles and housing always goes up and housing is always a good bet. And, and, and the reality is that there are pockets um, in every city that you can look at and see houses that, that maybe sold in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and may already sold in the 2010s where they all sold for the same price every single time. You know, it's this cycle of it was built, it was sold, it went up in value, somebody bought it, real estate crashed, it foreclosed, it was sold for pennies. When, you know, it just this cycle. And so, um, you know, try and try and show people that just because the last four or five years, something's looked really good. Doesn't mean it's going to ever go beyond what it's done. You know, you got to look at what's happening going forward. If there's no housing being built around it, if there's no development, there's no new jobs coming in. How do you expect that, that particular 
property that you're buying to go up in value or to perform better. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I'm trying to drive at. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent that, you know, buy for cash flow, And if you get appreciation, it's a bonus. And, you know, I think the things that you just mentioned are key factors in kind of, you know, improving the likelihood that appreciation will happen. Right. Sure. Absolutely. So, so the, the question is, is, I mean, do, do you guys follow that same kind of mindset of, you know, Hey, listen, you know, we're looking at properties here that are solid cash flow properties. Appreciation might, might be a factor at some point, but you know, we'll, inc- we'll improve the odds by looking at properties in these demo demographics and, you know, in these economies and these places, is that kind of your perspective? Well, yeah, it's kind of what I call, um, and I personally look at the path of progress. Yeah. And so I look at, I'm, I'm like you, I buy all for cash flow. Um, I'm not in these wildly appreciating markets. Memphis, Dallas, and Houston certainly are not you know, wildly appreciating. And, but they're, they're good markets for me anyway to be able to find cash flow, just as you had said. So what I look at is path of progress. What's being built, as I'd said, what's, um, are there new shopping centers? Are there new schools being planned? Uh, the new roads, you know, being widened, developed, new sewer systems, you know, whatever it ends up being, I want to try and get near that uh, if yeah. I can, or get in the way of it <laughs> and let something run into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and I've done it all. I mean, I've, I've done the inner city where there's no development, there's no gentrification, there's no anything like that. Um, and I've done parts of the inner city where that that is coming. And I've done parts of suburbs where, you know, on the path of progress, and I've just for me, I've simply found that the easiest way for me to um, predict what's going to happen with my particular property is going to be looking at, at what's ahead of it, what's being developed out there, not what's taken place in the past. It just doesn't, doesn't, hadn't been fruitful for me to be able to buy that way. That's great. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right, let's move on. Myth number three I've got here, uh, investing in real estate is a big time sink. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so... I have a lot of people that think that you have to put in an inordinate amount of time to any endeavor you do. You know what I mean? I've, I've heard this over and over and over again. People saying, I just don't have time to invest in real estate. Now that's, that's an, it's, that's a, it's one of those that you have to be really careful with because you have to know what you're doing. So you have to put time in, you can't just go in blind, but once you've gotten started and once you kind of, kind of get going, um, you know, literally an hour a day on bigger pockets is enough time to be really educated if you're focused on what it is you're trying to be educated about. You know, if you're trying to learn about everything, then, then an hour a day on bigger pockets is going to take you a while. But if you're really focused in on what you want to do with real estate and how you want to begin investing or build your portfolio out, it's not that difficult. It's not like it's one of those things you have to go eight hours a day, you know, and, and, and all your free time and take away from your family everything to do. It's, it's just not, that's not the case. And then even so, when you own it, there are more passive ways to invest in real estate today than, well, they've, they've probably always existed, but they're just right there in front of you. And, you know, again, not, not that I'm trying to, to bigger pockets, but you understand what I'm saying. It's all right there on the, in the forums. I mean, if, whether it's uh, turnkey investing like I do, if it's note investing, if it's private lending, if it is partnering, it's all the conversations and the forums are right there for you to get in and get educated with a small amount of time. And each of those ways of investing don't require a lot of time once you've done it. Yeah. So 
You know, yeah. one thing that I talk about a lot, I mean, whether it's on like the big, I, I, mean, I mentioned it almost every week in the Bigger Pockets webinars, but just, I mean, everywhere I talk about this, sub, this topic of, you know, what people say, I can't do something. And I, you know, I encourage them to say, how can I do it? It's the same thing with like the, the time, like, oh, I don't have time to invest in real estate. If you shift your thinking to, well, how, how do I have time? How can I have time to invest in real estate? How do I make that happen? You know, it, there's like this mindset thing that's different. And you start thinking about it like, differently instead of thinking, yeah, I got to go out and change the water heater. And then I got to go collect, pick, you know, drop by their house and pick up rent. That's right. And that's how people think of real estate. And if if that is how you think of real estate, that's how you will run your real estate and you will not have any time to do anything else but that. So as soon as you start thinking about differently um, and asking that question of how do I outsource this or how do I run it differently? uh, You know, amazing things happen. Well, it's a shame that a lot of people today, they're interested in real estate from watching TV, watching right. the, the TV shows. Yep. And they give you such a skewed version because they're, they're meant to build up drama. So you see a yep. lot of drama and you see a lot of, you know, everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of the shows, it's like, uh, you know, it goes across the bottom, it's 2.30 in the morning and the person's still awake trying to paint, saying, yeah. I got to get it done because I got an open house tomorrow. And, you know, so that's, that becomes what we believe is the reality yep. and it's just not the case. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, th- I think the, um, you know, the, the people who are listening, I mean, we're, we're now, this is a crazy number. We are now averaging right around 50,000 listeners per show of the Bigger Pockets podcast. That is an insane number. Whoa. There are probably 50,000 plus people going to be listening to the show. Of all those people who are listening, I, I'd say a pretty good percentage of them don't own any real estate. Sure. But they probably own stocks. And they probably have other investments and they probably know as much about the stocks that they own as they do about real estate. Meaning they don't, they probably don't know anything, (laughs) you know? And and, and so, you know, real estate as a time suck, you know, if you put that time in your, in your stock portfolio, um, if you're going to take the risk on buying stocks, because you are taking a risk by buying stocks, um, the same risk can be applied towards real estate and, and it can actually be mitigated because you have a lot more control um, by applying that, that time that you're spending. So I, I mean, I think as, as, um, uh, as a, I, I'm blanking out on the word, but as just a, an investment type, you know, real estate is something definitely worth consideration to those people who are sitting saying, Oh, it's going to take too much time. Oh, it's, it's so hard. Well, you probably have stocks. You probably don't know anything about that. You're probably risking a whole heck of a lot in the, in the market with those stocks. Stop, take the money out, think about it, <laughs> learn something and, and, and consider real estate as, as a possibility. Well, the nice thing is to your, even to your point, Josh, those that are listening that do know about their stocks, for the same amount of time they spent probably studying uh, PE ratios and and you know earnings reports and all that kind of stuff to to know what's going on with a stock, it right. takes about that much time to know about investing in real estate uh, in a passive manner that can be very rewarding, very lucrative, just like a stock can. So yeah. it's not it's 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 neither it's certainly not does not have to be the all consuming time suck. Yeah. Hey, yep. do do you have any like good tips for people, especially just starting out, uh, who? don't want their life to be consumed by real estate. They don't have time. They have a full-time job. They've got kids, family. Do you have any just good tips for people to, to minimize the amount of time that real estate takes? Well, um, no. <laughs> not not, and, <laughs> not and, and, without you know, plugging. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, well, it's kind of funny. It's that, you know, um, it's whatever you put time to is, is where you're going to begin to excel. 
It's just, it doesn't take a lot of it. It doesn't, you know, and I'll, I'll go back to it again. One hour on bigger pockets focus is really good. There are at your library, the bookstore, you know, if you don't want to spend money, go to the library. If, if you want to own the books, go to the bookstore. There are a tremendous number of good beginner books out there. So many of them have been talked about right here on the bigger pockets podcast. And there, you know, there's lists all in the, um, in the show notes, uh, articles. Yeah. Yeah. That the good place to start is just wherever you're at. You know what I mean? It's like the, the tip to get started is to say, I'm going to devote one hour. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to put an hour towards this and it's going to be from eight to nine at night or seven to eight in the morning or whenever it's going to be, but I'm going to put one hour a day into this and I'm going to, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it really well. And so I'm going to understand what I'm doing and then go for it. Well, and I, think, um, I think you touched on something really important there too is, is uh, I heard a quote the other day. I don't remember who said it or what the exact phrasing was, but basically the idea was, you know, small actions taken every single day consistently, you know, add up to a massive change in your life. People often think I have to go devote the next month of my life to learning real estate. But, and like you said, an hour a day, just consistently every single day moving forward, you can accomplish amazing things. And that's yeah, it can be life changing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So well, I'm, Chris, you and I talk about that with bigger pockets. I mean, bigger pockets for for Chris and his company, I know is is one of the the you know we drive a lot of business to you. Not you know not for anything other than you come on bigger pockets, you engage, you participate, you connect with people. You're not doing ten hours a day. You spend a tiny bit of time consistently, and by doing so, you've built a brand, a reputation for yourself within our platform. And and people when they think of turnkey and reputable people, uh, you know they they look and think of you. Yeah, it's you're you are exactly right. It does not take a lot of time to engage. Yeah, and that's the that's the uh, that's one other point, Brandon, to what you had just said is that the question you had asked is if you'll if you'll just devote that little bit of time and then engage. Don't be don't think of yourself as a newbie that can't you know, add to value to someone else that can't answer questions, that can't give their own thoughts and viewpoints. The reality is that you have to engage. If you yeah. want to get better at this and you want to find the right partner or the right deal or the right, you know, money lender or whatever it ends up being, just engage. Yeah. I mean, just get engaged, get active. Cool. Right on. Right on. Love it. Love it. Uh, our myth four, you should only invest locally. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah. So before the advent really of the internet, um, I think it was probably hard for people to invest in other areas because, or it would have been hard for me because I just don't know how I would have ever gotten over the idea that I'm going to invest somewhere else. I mean, you know, it's certainly somewhere across the country. Um, yeah. But the, the reality is that, uh, or the way you would do it is with family. And that's how I got started. I bought my first uh, long-term buy and holds in Memphis only because my dad was there. Only because he was running the company and I had a, a high level of faith that it was going to be done the right way. Um, I did some fix and flips in Florida with my older brother, Kent, down in uh, Delray Beach and Fort Lauderdale area. And, you know, they worked, but only because of him, only because I knew him. So, you know, I, I think now that with the advent of the internet um, and certainly the resources that are available to people and the ability to get on and look and check and, and do data searches, I mean, the whole world is open to you. If you want to... Um, if you literally want to invest and you're looking for markets that you trust, that you understand a little bit, or that, that you, that, and they may be far away from you, you can do that. You don't have to invest down the street or across town anymore if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have an interesting theory about this also as to why some people go out of area. And 
it's not controversial in any way, but it's, it's just, it's real. It's about being able to look in the mirror and, and being real with yourself that I think a lot of investors look to go out of area first because they don't understand real estate. And it's easier to say if something goes wrong, it's easier to say that it was someone who did me wrong. If I bought far away from where I'm at, if I didn't have to drive past it every day, but if I bought down the street and it went wrong, it's no one to blame. Yeah. It's, it's all small square on me. And so on the forums all the time, I really encourage people to, before you just go buy somewhere else in the country, get to know what's going on around you locally first, know what's happening, get your, you know, educate yourself, get, get, know what you're talking about and what you're doing. And then if locally it's not good enough for you due to time or you, you don't, you're not gonna, you don't have the time to do it. You don't have the time to learn it enough to be active in it. Uh, or you just have decided that I don't want to actively invest. I want to passively invest, then go buy out of area, if that makes sense. Hey, Chris, sure. I mean, you guys have a lot of clients that are out of t- town, obviously. So what would you say are the biggest reasons that people give you guys for investing out of town, at a distance? Well, almost all of them, it's due to their own time. Almost okay. all of them are not active investors, nor do they want to be. They yeah. only want to be a passive investor. Um, now they can do that, they could probably, some of them could definitely do it locally. And then it becomes other reasons, you know, that, that's, that's more about our company or whatever, but sure. for them personally, it's almost all due to active. They don't want to be an active investor. They only want to invest passively. Yeah. And I think back, Josh, to those, you know, you and I, our two companies co-sponsored some surveys a couple of years ago. Yep. And when I look back at those surveys and even kind of extrapolate it through today, I think that I, I firmly believe that there are more passive real estate investors out there than there are active real estate investors. I think there's more people that passively invest in real estate today, when you, especially when you factor in that, that they might be investing in notes, they might be investing in REITs, they might be investing in turnkey or whatever. Okay, I just sure. think that, that, that there are more people that, are, that would call themselves real estate investors today that are passive than who are actively fixing and flipping or building and selling, that kind of thing. Interesting. Interesting. And hey, maybe we'll do another survey and find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so when you, when you look at it like that and you look at kind of what we just said, if you're going to passively invest in real estate, then you literally can invest anywhere in the world you want to invest. Yeah. You know, it just, it just takes um, you getting to a level of comfort where you feel like you've done enough due diligence to buy. Well, so, so all that said, and, and you know, I, I think you've, you've firmly dispelled the myth that local is the only option. Uh, that said, local is a great option for people, especially those people who are going to be active. I, oh, I would yeah. say you know, local is where you should absolutely start, without a doubt, right? Yeah, if you, and, and that's the other thing, that there's a lot of people that buy passively, they buy out of area, but in their, own, their own personality says that was a mistake. Like mm-hmm. they want to be involved. They really want to, to be hands-on or they want to, you know, maybe they, they like testing colors to see what works best for a renter or a seller, whatever, and, or a buyer. And so they need to be active. They need to be hands-on, but yet they buy a passive property in another area because they think that, that maybe the prices are better or the, you know, it might be turnkey and they want to go turnkey and it's just not, it's not what's good for them, if that makes sense. So a lot of a lot of if you're going to buy passive or active, it depends on who you are and what you enjoy. And and if you enjoy being active, absolutely invest close to where you are so you can be in in the job every day. You know, yeah. right on, right on. 
All right, cool. Cool. Let's move on to myth number five. And that is uh, kind of the one I really wanted to focus on today as well. And I don't, we don't have a ton of time left, but <laughs> the myth was you should avoid risk at all costs. So I want to kind of have a discussion on the on the topic, topic of risk. Because uh, yeah. I mean, obviously that's on a lot of people's minds when they're getting into real estate as well. I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to, you know, waste all this time and humiliate myself in front of my family and friends. So, um, I mean, maybe you could just talk on that. How, how does somebody get over that fear of taking a risk and, and what kind of risk should a take, person take? You know, I wrote, a, I wrote another article and it's really funny. I thought I was being uh, fairly unique with the article I was writing. Um, I, I did a video for, for the BP blog. And then, of course, over time, as I continue to search and study on, I realized that I wasn't being unique at all. Like there's all this, all this research out there about mistakes that we make. And so risk is one of those things that, that it's very dangerous for investors because those that don't want to take risk, they oftentimes will make decisions that are more risky. For instance, our fear of losing money, because it's what you just said, Brandon, our fear of, of losing money will oftentimes lead us to risk fewer dollars and let's just say there's two houses and there may be more risk with a lower cost investment, whereas there's less risk with a higher cost investment. Absolutely. But the higher, yeah, the higher cost investment means I got to risk more dollars, but my risk of losing it is lower. Whereas my lower cost investment, I have to risk fewer dollars, but my true risk is higher. So my improbability, I will lose that money. Whereas with the, with the higher cost investment, I may not. I mean, my risk of losing is actually less. And so it's one of these things like our, our fear of losing money is greater than our desire to earn. Yep. And so I think with, with all risk, everything's calculated. Even as a businessman, we take risks all the time. And some of them pan out and some of them don't. And some of them, you know, I was sharing with you recently, Brandon, some of them, we we lost a lot of money on some major risks we took in Texas. And, you know, ultimately hindsight 2020, we look back at it, we got outside of our normal pattern of decision-making and we, which was our risk. That was the risk we were taking. We decided to change our pattern a little bit and, and try something a little bit different. And we thought it was going to propel our company in Dallas. Instead, it set us behind. I mean, we looked up 90 days later and we were, <clears throat> We were really far behind where we where we wanted to be. We lost some some team members. We had acquired some bad assets. We had lost some valuable um, time. Is a great way to put it, and it cost us a lot of dollars too. And so, you know, we ninety days in, we we make a quick twit a quick change. We go back and switch to you know kind of the decision making we'd always used. But ultimately, when we looked at it, it was a great risk for us to take because it really taught us a lot about our team and the way that we make decisions. And so, risk is all about assessing the good and the bad of making a decision and not making a decision because there's good and bad on all sides. And so I think with, with investors, risk is not a bad thing. You just have to know the risk you're taking and be aware of, you know, what your upside is and is that risk worth it? You know, we always say is the juice worth the squeeze. If it is, you you go for it. Hey, I I love your point about the, uh, um, the, the cheaper property, um, the the property you put less money on might be considerably more risky than than and I you know that's one of those big lessons that I suffered through. I was like, hey, I know real estate. I'm going to buy some cheap properties that make tons of money. Yeah, we've talked about this. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and 
you know, awesome, you know, let's go buy in Detroit because we could get them for 3000 bucks and we're going to make all this cash. Yes. Sorry. I, I haven't talked about Detroit in a while, so I had to bring it back. It has been a while. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, you know, t- today I'd, I'll go on a, a you know, a, a property in a middle-class neighborhood that's, you know, stable, that's, you know, cash flow and considerably less. Uh, over a property that's that's in a transitional neighborhood that's going to bring a lot more cash, but pro- probably going to come with a lot more problems, higher eviction rates, issues, and things like that that, that kind of come with it. Absolutely. And and the, to add to your point, Josh, that when you, because you're in Denver and you just mentioned Detroit. Yep. So if you were going to buy in Detroit, just the simple fact that the space between where you are and where you're buying, the fact you'd probably be doing it through some t- form of turnkey or you'd be relying on other people. Supposed turnkey. Yeah. 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 All of that raises your risk. That's, that was my point that there's, so there's, there's buyers that are there in Detroit that probably know those neighborhoods very well and they, they're active investors. They might do great there at that price, but it just, you add to the risk when you add those other elements. I mean, every time you take a one more element to it, so I'm, I'm removing myself from it. I'm trusting someone else. It's very low cost. You know, all these things add to the risk. It's just, assessing what your risk is and whether or not you're willing to take it or not. You know, but so often people say, Hey, it's fewer dollars. So if I lose big deal, you know, it's less money, but you're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. like buying penny stocks, right? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I get, I get a lot of people, you know, cause I talk about my area a lot here on the show, you know, like you said, 50,000 people listening to it and I talk about like the numbers that I get on my deals. And it's like, that's, you know, that's like the lowest price on the West coast you can get. And so a lot of people email me and ask me, Hey, should I invest in your area? And like, not even to be like mean, like I, it's not like I'm trying to hoard all the deals, but like I tell people, probably oh, totally not. Is, by the way. No, I, I, <laughs> I tell people you probably shouldn't invest in my area. Like you don't know, like you don't know that B street. I would not touch that street, but go three blocks over the other way. The neighborhood looks worse, but I would invest there in a heartbeat. Like they don't know that. And so unless they've got a guy like that, you know, they completely and utterly trust, unless you've got somebody on boots on the ground, it's really hard to do that. And that's where I think, um, I don't know. I think people get in trouble is they just, they see these numbers and they see other people who have success there and they just try to jump in in that market. And it's, it's scary. And boots on the ground, you said, Brandon, I, I think that word is so important. That phrase, you know, I, I think if you can find that boots on the ground in any market that you trust and really like we're talking about risk. So the word trust and risk go very, you know, they're hands in hand. They have yep. to be used together. You have to find people or companies that you trust. If you're considering investing at a dis at a distance and you have to consider all that with, with any kind of investment that you're, that sure. you're making. Um, but you know, and, and that's, that's the key is how do you find boots on the ground and, and maybe apply it to you, Chris, like how do we find boots on the ground that we can trust? Well, it's, it is a process. Okay. And as amazingly as it sounds, there are more right now, there are more investors out there that will trust based on recommendation, based on reputation, based on conversations on the phone or whatever. There, there just hasn't become a level yet where people say, I have to go see things for myself. There's just a very trusting, it still exists uh, here. And there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it, it raises your risk. And so, of course, I want to say that if somebody does that with my company, they're going to be okay. But the reality is that they're still taking a big risk. Sure. You need to, you need to go and investigate for yourself, put your eyes on it, meet people face to face. So much can be learned from someone when you shake their hand and you speak with them and you you just get that feeling. Is this the kind of person that's going to take care of me and make me feel like I'm investing next door instead of 1500 miles away? And, um, you know, I, I, I can't, 
again, I know, I know what we do and I know how my company operates and I know the investors. That, and yes, sometimes I still, you know, I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, wow, it just, it, I'm still sometimes amazed that we have the investors that we have that have never met us face to face. Um, and as I said, that's the reputation and the, the credibility part and, and the, what do you call it? The, um, somebody giving you a recommendation, but I don't think any of that ever replaces actually physically meeting somebody face to face. Yeah. So would you advise them there? If you, if you're going to go invest in another market, you're saying hands down, fly out there and go meet them and talk to them, look around. Look, I, I tell if an investor, if you were an investor saying, Hey, Chris, what do I need to do next? Uh, I want to buy properties from you, but I've never met you. I would say, get on a plane and come see me. Okay. Absolutely. Every time it's going to, it's just going to solidify where you're at and where you're going. Yeah. I mean, it's a fairly small investment of what a thousand dollars for a flight and a couple of nights on a hotel, you know, to, to secure your future. So, and I think if somebody, if you're looking at, for example, turnkey and the operators that you're considering, don't say that and don't want you to see their operation and don't want you to see how they, they work. I think it's a a giant red flag. Oh, huge (laughs) red flag. You are correct. It is a huge red flag. And I don't know of too many people that would do that. I just don't know of too many operators that would say that, but you're right. There's probably some that, that under, you know, kind of their own little way would try and dissuade an investor from coming to see them face to face would say that they don't really need to do that. And I would never buy that way ever. I mean, cool. It just doesn't make sense. I agree wholeheartedly. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners' capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. 
Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. All right. Well, cool. I, I want to get a little more specific here. You know, a lot of this show has been a little bit, you know, a little bit theoretical. So let's get very specific with uh, some case studies here. I just want to ask you, I got like a list of like six or seven specific situations uh, that are risky. Uh, and how would you advise somebody to reduce the risk on that? Uh, so number one is losing money on a bad deal, like just losing cash flow, or if it's a flip, losing, you know, at the end of the day, losing money. How did you advise somebody to, to reduce that risk of that happening? Wow. Well, I tell you what, on the, um, you reduce risks in all areas by making sure that you have priced correctly. So if you're talking about a, a property that you're losing money on the rental side, make sure that your rent is, is priced appropriately, that you're not too high for the market. One of the other things I would do always is that if you're going to, if you're going to own a rental property in the market, make sure you rent in the suite or you own it in the sweet spot of where people are renting. So in other words, if, if 70% of the, of the renter population rents between $700 and $1,100, I would not buy properties that are going to rent for $450 a month. You know, I wouldn't, I would, because you've got fewer people that are looking for that. I wouldn't rent a property that, or try and buy a property that's going to rent for $2,000 a month. You're going to be searching for this little sliver of the population. I would stick where everyone's looking. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I'll tell you on the flip side, the biggest mistakes that I made flipping properties were, number one, I would over-renovate, which that's just a risk to some of the, the return you're going to get. The property is still going to sell. Where I would, the, the biggest mistake I ever made was my realtor comped a property for me in Denver and they comped it even within a block or two. I mean, everything was like within less than a tenth of a mile, but yet it was so different. I mean, even a tenth of a mile. This property, it was like this street was all to itself. You, only, you could only take comps from that street itself because even a tenth of a mile away, the properties were just so visibly nicer and, and it was more appealing, more attractive. And so, you know, I bought a property expecting it to be worth 450,000. In the end, I was lucky to sell it for 300 and I yeah. owned it for way over 300. So, um, well, you know, it's, it's one of those things of trust, but verify. You've got people yeah. on your team that are giving you good, good data and they're there for a reason. Verify everything that they're telling you. Um, so if I had looked at that part of my eyes on the front end, I would have known that I was incorrect, but I didn't. I bought it yeah. first based on their data. Right on. So right on. Good advice. What, what about going over a budget on a rehab? How do you mitigate the risk of doing that? Of that actually happening? Yes, sir. Well, <laughs> there's a thing that we call inspect what you expect. And so you only go over budget on a rehab really in two ways. Number one is if... Through your, you're, you're failing to inspect what you expect. So the job is dragging on. 
things aren't getting done in a timely manner. Things are getting done in a, uh, in a half-assed type manner. So you got to come back and do it again. Um, or number two, that you fail to, to look around you what, what else is, is in your area. And so you've got this budget set up and you come in and you start doing it. And then you walk in, you say, well, wouldn't this look really good if I put you know, some other type of countertops here. And wouldn't it be really nice if I did these really, these nice new light fixtures instead of the light fixtures I normally use? Let me try this. And you keep experimenting and experimenting with something new and better and bigger. I'm very guilty of that. Well, there's no <laughs> yeah. payoff. Yep. You know, that's the thing. There's yeah. no payoff in the end. It doesn't, it doesn't increase anything for you. It only increases your budget. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think the biggest Great. one though is inspect what you expect. Because if you're not around, those contractors are, are, it doesn't matter how much you trust them. It's just, it's human nature. The things aren't getting done to your level. There you go. Nice. Love right, it. Right, huh? All right. Third one. Uh, how do you mitigate the risk of tenants destroying your property? Man alive. Um, <laughs> well, in, individually, if you're, if you are, if you manage, if you self-manage, um, I think that some of the ways you're able to do that are by being at your property, you know, whether you're collecting rent or you're, you're doing inspections just on as, as, as uh, often of a basis as possible. When you, I'll tell you, like when you're like a management company like us, we've got 2,300 properties in Memphis and it is, it's impossible for us to put them all on an inspection schedule. I would, I, the staff that I would have to carry and the cost to carry to actually put them on an inspection would be astronomical. So what we do on our front end is it's a very, very uh, serious process at the closing with a very strict uh, lease written up and a very kind of authoritative type of messaging to that tenant. And then the way that we conduct ourselves is very much that it's, you know, it's an, you are a guest of this particular house. So we expect to be kept in a certain way. And what we try and do is minimize the number of homes that actually are torn up by a tenant. And, you know, you do that by programs that you offer the tenant. You do that by the way that you treat and talk to the tenant. You do that by, as I said, inspect what you expect. So we, we hold them to a certain level of expectation and then we keep them there. And so not, again, not to kind of toot us, but I wanted to make sure I pointed out that, so we have an, a length of stay of almost four years. If that's the case, then there's going to be wear and tear on that house that's going to occur. But sure. if, if you have these major wear and tear after, after four to six months that they don't stay in the property, then you've done something wrong with the management on the front end. You, haven't, you didn't set the right expectations. Uh, you know, when they came in, they just destroyed it and moved out on you. Yeah. I, I, just, I just think it's so important that you, you inspect as much as, as possible and then you really, really set the right expectations on the front end. Yeah. And, and Chris, you've written quite a few articles on Bigger Pockets about property management, about how, how to find a good management company, how to screen management companies, what to look for. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see if we could tag uh, some of these and, and, and uh, attach them to the, to the show notes. It's at biggerpockets.com slash show 122. I think the people listening would, would find them great reads. And, and yeah, I think that's great. I mean, screening obviously is also a, a key yeah, it's just so it's so tough to know who you're getting. It's it's really I, I tell you one great thing, and this this will be without taking too much time. That when you set an appointment with someone to close on a property, if you if you self manage, then don't close at the Starbucks or the local Burger King or the hood of the car. And in my opinion, we say don't even close at the house. You, if if you own rental properties near you, then you probably have a closing attorney. Borrow your closing attorney's closing office. Let them allow you to close your rentals there, even if you have to rent it for them for the hour. Have your rental closings in a place that, that screams business, that screams professional to that renter on the other side, and then schedule it for a time. And if that renter 
cannot show up on time, then you don't rent to them. And you tell them that the wrong way to start this relationship is you showing up not on time because that means my rent won't be on time. Yeah. And, yep. and it's a, that's just one little shift to change the type of renter you're going to get. And it does, believe me, prevent houses from getting destroyed. That is a cool that's an amazing tip. tip. Never yeah. heard that before. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I got to talk to my attorney now, see if he'll let me use his room. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was great. All right, man. How, how, do, how do we mitigate the risk of getting ripped off by a property manager? We, we kind of got into this, but you know, what, what things can we do to avoid that? Well, right off the bat, uh, communication is key. Uh, they, have to have a, a, they have to have a way set up for you to be able to speak with them on a monthly basis. And it can't be an email and this. It has to literally be that they, they have to be willing to spend the money to have the staff there to be able to handle you as an owner and the request of other owners to be able to, to speak with them one-on-one every month. The biggest way to keep them getting ripped off, I think, from a property management company is you don't go for the low end. Um, the, the reality is that the cheapest property management that has the lowest fees and the lowest services or costs to you are going to give you the lowest service. And they are the ones who are going to run right on the skim of success and failure. And so, I mean, they're just, they're teetering one way or the other. A, a big month of move outs with no rental income coming in and they could be gone. They could, yeah, they could yeah. because they just don't have the revenue to be able to, to stay alive. So you, I would suggest that you find a good company that charges a good rate. And that means you got to talk to a bunch of companies in a city, but just find out what they're all charging. And then you, you find out, all right, so what's it look like the normal is? And don't go for the low end. And, and just because it's more expensive doesn't mean it's better. But my, my point is definitely that you're looking for somebody that says, I know how to make money as a management company, so I'm going to be here. And I'm going to use that revenue that I'm able to make to provide great service to you as an owner. That's who you're looking for. That's great. Cool. Really, really, really good advice. Yeah, I love it. All right, the last one I got for you here is uh, the risk of analysis paralysis. In other words, the risk of never actually getting started in the first place. How do you, how do you overcome that risk? I was, that's not risky, is it? Nah. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you're not going anywhere. That's for sure. I guess that's right. the risk. You know, and I'm going to plug Bigger Pockets again here, real quick. And I'm going to tell you that there are some amazing people on that site that they give of their time and they give of their knowledge. And I would just, I would tell you that the best way to avoid analysis or paralysis by analysis is to seek advice from other experienced investors, either in your particular niche or in your area or in the area that you're buying. One of those three, depending on, so no matter what you're doing, that person exists on bigger pockets. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I just don't know of, of, and of course it's gotten so big now, you guys, I don't even know all the people on there that are, I'm so there's, there's so many probably commentators that are excellent that I don't know. But my point is that there's probably 25 that I can think of right off the top of my head that they're, they're always active on the site. And if you ask them a question, they will give you an answer. And that's just something you don't find too many other places. And so if you feel yourself like, I want to get started, I just can't get over the hump, ask for someone's assistance. They will help you to make that right decision. They won't make it for you, but they'll help you get there. That's there the, you go. Yeah. the best thing I can say. I love it. I love that. Awesome. All right. You know, you know uh, well, we, we've got, I've got one last quick question before we go to the fire round, which is, you know, we're, we're, you know, you're, you're, what are you, 53 now? Is that what you said? Yeah, 63. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, now that, so now that you're old and just for men being used in your hair, <laughs> you know, what, 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 what are some lessons you wish you would have learned earlier? 
well, I wish I'd learned that when you were a child of Brandon's age. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I wish I'd learned that cheaper didn't mean better. That Ooh, didn't yeah. mean it was easier to get started because uh, I lost a lot of money on cheap, cheap properties early on. I wish I'd learned early on that just because somebody says it doesn't mean it's real. <laughs> I had a lot of, I lost a lot of money by trusting people that I shouldn't have trusted uh, early on. And um, I think the last lesson I, I wish I'd learned early on was that there was no like perfect time. Like it, it, it like I didn't have to get started right now or else I was going to miss out because especially with the internet, especially with the ability to invest really anywhere in the country that you want to invest any day, tomorrow is a great day to get started. Two weeks from now will be a great time to get started. Um, you know, it, it just, you don't have to pay attention to all these real estate cycles and everything. It's not as important as it used to be because you can make money in real estate in any market through any cycle. Agreed. It's great. Agreed. So, yeah. And th- and that, by the way, that's a huge, huge, huge myth that's, that's put out there by, you know, the major financial press. I mean, that, that's one that, you know, I, I'd say sophisticated investors get it. They understand it. People who don't understand real estate have no idea how important and how true what you just said is. And, and, you know, if you if you learn anything from this show, listen to that one piece of advice that Chris just gave because uh, it's huge. I'm going to give you one more, and this is my pet peeve right now. Okay, because companies within my niche do this, and even gurus do this. Gurus being the education guys that just that are selling more myth than than reality. Warren Buffett did an interview on CNBC. I don't know; it's probably been a year, maybe two years ago, might be longer now, where he said. In the gist of what, what is purported today is that Warren Buffett would buy all the single-family houses he could. He, Warren Buffett loves buying single-family houses. That's not what he said. What he said was that if he could, and the if was the biggest part of his entire equation, he said if he could, he would buy thousands of single-family homes and put them on a, a mortgage, put them on some, some type of leverage to be able to leverage that money out because money was so cheap and the houses were so cheap. But the point of what he was saying was he didn't have the he didn't have the the mechanism to do it. He didn't have the teams in place. He didn't have the the ability to be able to make that work. And so he didn't do it. He didn't make a bet in single family houses. Yeah. But today it is reported so many times over and over and over again by companies that want to sell to new investors that, you know, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, you know, and then they'll just put that little clip on there. If I could, I'd buy two thousand houses today. Yeah. It's that's not what he said. That's not what he did. Well, so. and, and what's what's interesting about that was I, I think that kind of sparked this um, this craze by you know some of these big funds to buy, scoop up you know billions and billions of dollars in properties with no infrastructure to manage, take care, maintain, you know, or anything. And and I think I think we're still going to see the ramifications of that at some point in the coming future. Well, for a company like mine. Um, it is a, it's an opportunity. You know, oh, sure. Brandon, you had asked earlier about growth and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, we, we are very blessed. We've, we've made good decisions along the way. There's no whiteboard that says this is what we do to get where. We've just, we've been lucky enough to make good decisions at the right time. And we're in a position now where when these funds, especially in the areas that we operate, when they decide that they want to sell 50 or 100 or 150 or 200, whatever it is, that hopefully, 
we're in a position to be able to buy big bulk, some packages of those things, which is a very sustainable model for our company going forward because we can buy them and make sure they're, they're fixed and, and stabilized. And then we have inventory for investors to buy from us. So it's, you know, for us, you're right, Josh, it's, it's, um, it's this, I don't know what you'd call it here, but it's like this natural cycle that's going on that's just going to continue to feed a company for a while. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Great stuff, Chris. Really, really good. I think uh, I think it's time to move to the the next section of the show, which is time for the fire round. Let's hear it, man. He's sick. He he, he can't do it. All right, the fire round. These are questions that we uh, Brandon always does this. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. You are listening to the world famous fire round. Is there like you that? go. I don't All right. Know. So the fire round is we fire questions at you. You fire answers right back. These are questions that come from the Bigger Pockets forums, which you can check out at biggerpockets.com slash forums. All right. First question of today's fire round is my tenants want to buy the house they are renting for me. Should I sell it? Yes. <laughs> That's <a> good. <laughs> That's a very good fire. Awesome. Do, you want, do you want to expand on that at all? I know this yeah, is quick. Feel free but... to go a little deeper. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're making money on the house every month and you can re-rent it, absolutely not. If you're if you want to hold this thing, you know, forever, keep it. If you can sell it to them and make an incredible return on the property, sell it. There you go. All right, there you go. Uh, my tenant. This is actually a true story that happens to me occasionally. My tenant is not paying the water bill, but still paying the rent because the water bill goes with the house. You know, so it's ultimately on me if they don't pay. Yet they've refused to pay the water bill, um, but they're paying the rent just fine. So, like, what do I do? And that was a, I didn't ask that question in the forums, but that is a situation I deal with. So, what would you do? Move to evict if you can. Move to evict. Get an eviction notice on them and put them on notice that they pay the water bill or they go. There you go. Well, and, and isn't that something you should have in your, in your uh, lease? I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing that if you just move to evict, usually you move them off center that you get them off of, okay, I'm either going to lose the price or I'm going to, I'm going to pay the water bill. So they usually you get them to take the action you want them to take. But if you don't, if you do nothing, you've trained them already to never pay the water bill and just pay rent and they get free water. Yep. There you go. There you go. Yeah, awesome. we've, we've had that one of the towns in our area, like a lot of my rental properties are in, they made the rule recently where tenants can no longer have water in their name, period, because they got tired of collecting from tenants. So now landlords have to have it in their name and I have to go and build a tenant directly. Oh, and then man. the tenants don't pay me. And then I'm like, I'm evicting over a $50 water bill, but I, I'll, I'll threaten it all day long. I haven't had to actually care when out yet, but I'll threaten it. For yes. everyone who wants to buy a property in Potomac, <laughs> Washington. <laughs> Keep this in mind as you're thinking about yeah, this is uh, that's, this is the thing people don't know that right they go to Hoquim to go buy a property because the properties are forty grand in Hoquim and they're like oh I'll buy it there they don't realize that there's these little nuances you know so stay away yeah. I got this the, the just a little things. nuance <laughs> <laughs> no but what I do I mean I just bill them we just like send them a separate bill for their water just like we do for their rent and most of them pay it. But yeah, you know, the ones that don't, we just, well, we, most of them are a month to month. And so we just give them notice to leave if they don't, and then they shape up pretty quick or they move. So there you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> There's ways to deal with it, but there it's not always easy. Nice. nice. All, All right, right, Chris, what do you think of the buy rehab rent refinance strategy? Buy rehab rent and then refinance. Um, I like Survive? it. Okay. Okay. I like it to, to an extent. I'm not a big fan of leverage anymore. That's due to my own experience with leverage. Um, age. Yeah, with my age. <laughs> so um, it, I'm, I'm a big fan of levering for smaller amounts of time. 
And so it also depends on what you're going to do with that money. So you buy it, you, you fix it, you rent it, you refinance it to get your cash back out. What are you going to do with that cash? Put it to work for you. If you're not putting it to work, what was the point of doing it in the first place? You know? Yeah. Go, go, go do your next project. Yep. Great. Right on. Right Love on. it. Um, and I am a huge fan of, I mean, uh, generally a huge fan of the whole buy, rehab, rent, refinance. I call it like hybrid in, hybrid investing. That's kind of my yeah. name I throw at it. But I do, I do like the idea if you do it right. But like you said, you got to have a use for that money. But, uh, but yeah, it's a good way to, it's, it's, it's a good way to get in for like no or low money down to deals. You know, you put your own money in, fix it up, rent it out, refinance it a few months later, and then get your cash back and go do it again. You can do it a number of times before you're usually stopped from the bank. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. And I, I don't disagree with that at all. My thing is, know what kind of mortgage you're going to put it on. Mm-hmm. Don't just put on a 30-year mortgage because it, it's going to give you the most monthly cash flow. It also, what people don't understand is that for the first 24 years that you're going to own that loan, your interest payment alone is the single largest expense you're going to have on that property. Yep. And so you just tied yourself into 24 years of a tremendous expense. That So you're, you're giving your rent to something else. I, so I, you know, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it, that if you're going to do that, put that money to use. I mean, you know, use it three, four times over so that, and then don't put everything on a 30-year note. Put it on a note that, that allows you to, to pay that off and use it again within your, within the cycle of that particular property. Don't, you know, a 30 year, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. It's just, <laughs> it drives me. That's that's just ran, just that's, keep rambling alone, man. That's my pet peeve. Yeah. I hear you, buddy. Cool. <laughs> nice. All right. Final question. Uh, was this, yeah, this is mine. Uh, how do I find private lenders? Wow. I had a, I could have had a very funny comment right there. I decided not to. Um, <laughs> uh, was it at Brandon's expense? And if so, do it. Nope. It was <laughs> oh, not no, at Brandon's expense. It was a, it was a product plug, uh, that I was not going to do, but you were, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kidding. Um, the, so the best way for me to find private lenders, we find private lenders from our immediate surroundings, you know, people that we've done business with people that know us, that know our track record, know our success. It's probably the best way that you're going to find private lenders. I would think the same way. And, and here's what's interesting, um, once again, plugging bigger pockets, but you might find, like some people might say, okay, you go to a RIA, and at the RIA is where you're going to find people that have private money and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if, you're private, if your RIA has 50 people at it, and today for a lot of RIAs, that's a good-sized RIA, as, as sad as that sounds, and there might be 10 people at that RIA that are actually doing something, and then a handful of them might be able to lend you money at the most. But if you just go on to bigger pockets where you have a much broader audience and probably a much bigger influence over people, especially if you're active on the side a lot, right there, I mean, gosh, good gosh, you know, one thing out there and suddenly you've got a tremendous number of people coming back saying, hey, you know, I want to be partners with you. I did that recently. I have reached out to two or three guys out in California and said, I have money to, to use. I want to put money to use with you out there on the West Coast. Let's do something. So, And did it work? Well, we we're, it's gotten all the conversations started. Okay, um, we all know that. I mean, we're moving forward. It, it'll be the Josh. It's funny. It'll be the first time that I will have done something like that. It'll be the first time that I will do a deal with someone where I initiated it like that. I do, as you know, as you said, a lot of, of business with people from bigger pockets. But right. uh, it'll be the first time I've gone on there and said, "Hey, I've got money to lend." But I'm only doing that to very specific investors on the West Coast because I've watched them, I've listened to them, I yeah. know that they know what they're doing, and I'll have success. They'll have success. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I love and that. Brandon, you're doing that right now as well, aren't you? I did. I actually put up a thing on the uh, Bigger Pockets Marketplace looking for a lender for this property I'm buying. Uh, and I got probably seven, seven or eight people to respond to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm only going to use one of them, but I built relationships with six other people. And I discovered a Nigerian scammer, which I talked about in the intro of this, uh, of this podcast. But, you know, yeah, figure these things out. But, you know, yeah. That is incredible. Wow. Which yeah. part? The scammer so, or the uh, getting the getting the lenders? Oh no 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 the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Nigerian scammer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. We're 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 on top of it. You know, we, <laughs> no, but it's, they're, it's just, they're gone. It's, <laughs> it's a it's the real deal. That's the yeah. uh, and and no, I own nothing in bigger pockets. I have no stock in bigger pockets. You don't have stock yet, right? So I, I couldn't own any stock in it. But uh, <laughs> I continue to plug you guys because it's. I mean, it's real. It's it's the um, if you're looking for certain things going on with real estate, it's the place to go. There you awesome. go. Love it. Awesome. All right. That's great. That's it. So uh, why don't we move over to the world famous. Famous for. World famous, famous for. These questions we ask everyone. And we asked you these questions back on show 26 when you were here last time. But I'm going to ask them again in case anything's changed. It's been a little over a year. So number one, what is your current favorite real estate related book? Or all time really? favorite? All-time favorite. Jeez, wait. Uh, it's always <laughs> it's still going to be Frank McKinney's um, Make It Big. I mean, that's still my favorite okay. real estate book. I still read it every year. Okay. All right. cool. I have not read that one yet, even though I said last time I was going to pick it up, but I have not yet. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me that, but that's okay. Slacker, slacker. <laughs> Just tell Frank, you know. Yeah, I'll let him know. Okay. You know. Next. All right. What is your current favorite business book? What are you reading now? What business books have you read recently that yeah. are influencing you? There's two of them. One is The Rockefeller Rules. And uh, the second one is Start With Why. Uh, Simon Sinek, right? Yep. I like that book. Yep. Yeah, nice. Good, one. So, good, cool. good, 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 good. All right. Hobbies. What are you doing lately? I, I know you had a big family uh, event that, that has led to different hobbies, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got five kids now. so. Oh, my goodness. We are, we are, we are very, very busy. But I'm coaching... Um, competitive soccer with my son. And then I'm coaching just regular little soccer with, with one of my daughters. So I've got, I'm, I'm into coaching right now. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. I just put a video up on my Facebook today and I think I shared it on my Twitter today as well. Go check it out, Chris. The, there's some like soccer moves that will blow your mind. Like they'll, they'll just make your ankles hurt just watching. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's Did crazy. You find some of my stuff from when I was in college. I was well, just going to say the same thing about me. Superimpose your face on there. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, and congrats on number five, obviously. Thank right. you. Number four question of the famous four. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started in the first place? I think, you know, most people would say action, but I don't think that's it. I think the, the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with people that you, that are going to have the right influence on you. You will be the six people you surround yourself with. So if you surround yourself with people that take action, that are successful, that are good real estate investors, you will be one. Love it. That's very succinct and smart. Yeah. There you go. Not that I was shocked by that, but you know. <laughs> well, you, you have a shocked look on your face. So. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I expected you to talk more because, you know, sometimes you do that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Chris, as always, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Tons of really good information. We really, really appreciate having you back on the show. Uh, before uh, we, we, uh, we wrap it up, 
Where can people find more information about you and your company and and your company? You, they can find us at uh, www.memphisinvest.com. And you can always reach out to me. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can call me at 901-751-7191. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I know. <laughs> people, I'm just saying. Good luck, dude. Get a new phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and they can find you on bigger pockets, right? <laughs> That's what. Hang on. Don't call so, that number, guys, please. <laughs> Actually, do it for me. Just say, ha-ha, and hang up. <laughs> and Chris will know what a bad idea of putting his phone number on the podcast was. You can. That's why it wasn't my cell. But it wasn't <laughs> the, the office number. That may have been, I don't know which one would have been worse. You can, um, yeah, absolutely on bigger pockets. I'm on bigger pockets quite often. Um, Try and get on there every day. If I only miss one day, if, you know, in between being on there. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody, make sure to check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 122. And please don't prank Chris. <laughs> please. At least if you do, do and say that it's Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, if you need to edit that out, you can just say the website in the bigger pockets. It's, it's all good. Oh, we're, not edit- we're not editing that out. <laughs> If you if you want us to, we will. But all right, let me let me wrap this up, guys. All right, Chris, listen, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. For those of you guys listening, obviously Chris has a whole lot going on, and as you can tell, he's on the site. He's making things happen. He's getting business. He's using our platform to help him. Uh, if you're not doing it, you're missing out. Period. End of story. Set up an account. Get on there. Get on board. You know, and 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 make things happen. Take action. Uh, you know. Get, get your career going. And, and, you know, listen, we all have different pathways. So find the path that's right for you. Figure that out before you go and take action. Obviously, don't just make moves and, and uh, be impulsive. Chris made that mistake early on. Brandon made that mistake early on. I made that mistake early on. Um, I think a lot of people do that. And the cool thing is today there are tools, things like bigger pockets that, that can help you to hopefully avoid making those, a lot of the mistakes that we all made in the beginning. So get out there, make it happen. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.